like that. You guys ready to get started this evening? I don't know about you. I'm like, I could go, like, go to bed and sleep right now. Anybody else like that? You're like, I'm ready. I'm the end of the day. All right, well, let's stand up because we're going to wake up and we're going to sing. Day by day. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all He takes care of the of the flowers. He takes care of the birds. He gives them what they need. Why do you worry about what you need? God will take care of what you have. I think we worry a whole lot. Like one of the questions I get asked if I'm going around talking, what are, what are you going to do in five years? I'm like, 
I don't know. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do today. Does it really matter what's five years from now? And just do what God wants you to do, and he'll show you what you're supposed to be doing, right? But that's where you have to start is lean on what God wants you to do. On the last one, Jesus loves even me. I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Though I forget him and wander away, still Jesus loves me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms will I flee. Everybody needs to go get some coffee. It's like, oh man, you guys are like dead tonight. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. Well, if you're wondering, just in case you're wondering, uh, we have Bible quizzing. We host it once a year for the uh, Indiana Association of Christian Schools. We don't have a Christian school, but um, I don't know why. One year they reached out to us to see if they could, we could host it, and we've just started doing it ever since. So. Uh, last year we thought it was going to outgrow us because you know we've only got so much space. Uh, they need three quizzing rooms to begin with, and when uh, when one of our biggest rooms is going to be where everybody eats, you can't do a quizzing room in that room. So it just kind of challenges us. And last year they needed four, so we were tucking them everywhere. But uh, anyway, uh, so we'll see what happens tomorrow. It'll be fine, I'm sure. Uh, so if you would pray for that, this is going to be the Klingman's last service with us and before they head back to Guam, so they'll be leaving Saturday morning, Lord willing, uh, our time, right, Saturday morning, is that right? So um, so if you just pray for them, you'll, that means you'll arrive there sometime Sunday night or Monday, Sunday night, Guam time, so about a 30-hour flight, so pray for them as they uh, head back. And then um, if you would uh, um, Pray for me. I'm going to be leaving tomorrow morning, about 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm driving out to Pennsylvania. Melody and I were going to go together, but when Mel's mom passed, then it kind of just changed our plans. But Mia is um, conducting uh, Beauty and the Beast for the Pit Orchestra at a public school out there, and I just want to go and watch her do it. We were going to go together, but now Mel's going to stay here. So I'm going to leave tomorrow, come back on Saturday. It's just a quick trip just to get out there. And so, But... Uh, so then pray for Andrew and Brett because they've never run this event without me. Not that they can't do that without me. It's not that big a deal. But feeding 200 people is not really their thing. They don't do much with food very often. And uh, so uh, Miss Carrie is going to be here. Praise the Lord. They're leaning on Miss Carrie a lot to take care of that food. They don't know what to do with food. But anyway, so uh, that's what we'll be doing tomorrow. Or I'll be, they'll be here doing that tomorrow. So praise the Lord for all of that. All right, so we're going to continue. We'll have our prayer time at the end. And we're going to continue our study on Take the Lead. This is a very little book. If you want to get it, uh, you can get it through uh, West Coast Baptist College. That's, I don't know if it's available on Amazon. I haven't looked, uh, but it is available through um, their Striving Together publications at West Coast. Uh, Robert Kurtz is the author, and uh, he's a dad, and he's writing this to his son. Uh, it's Principles in Biblical Leadership. I've taken that and added my own little tagline in preparing to be used of God. Because if you'll take these principles and put them in our lives, whether it's leadership or not, 
And what we're doing is we're, we're readying ourselves to be used by God. Uh, as you look at the scripture, especially in 2 Timothy chapter 2, our job is to be ready, right? Our job is not to, to push an agenda. This is what we're going to do for God. That's not the way this works necessarily. It's our job is just to be ready. So whenever and wherever we are and God calls upon us, then we're ready for God to use us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's about being that clean vessel. If we're a clean vessel, then we're meat, fit, ready for the master's use, right? And so uh, that's what this is all about. If we'll follow, take some of these things and follow them, uh, then uh, we'll start preparing ourselves to be used by God. So uh, we're kind of jumping into the middle of it. This is principle number nine. We did not have uh, anything last week because we had the choir in, so it's been a couple of weeks since we've had this, right? Bow before God. You guys know that song, Bow the Knee? What a privilege to come into God's presence just to linger with the one who set me free. Is it set me free or died for me? Set me free. Just to linger with the one who set me free. As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory, I remember who he is and bow the knee. Bow the knee. Bow the knee. That's the chorus. Oh, powerful. Uh, so this is that concept of bowing before God. Would you agree that this is the problem uh, in our society, that uh, nobody wants to bow to the authority of God, that that's a real problem for where we are? You know, you can't tell me what gender I am. You can't tell me what I'm going to do. You can't tell me, you know, uh, this is where we are. You know, we, we had a series of riots uh, three years ago, all because someone would, they refused to bow the knee to a God who establishes morality, who establishes what is right and what's wrong. And, and so this concept of bowing the knee is a really important thing that we need to get hold of. If we're going to be, if we're going to be people living for God, we must bow the knee to this God of ours. Uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And uh, it, is, it is interesting, and we, when we get to the New Testament, that uh, as God is saying that to his people in Exodus chapter 20, in the New Testament, he's saying to his people, the church, things like this in 1 John chapter 5, little children. Now, when, when John says little children, who's he writing to? Believers, right? He's writing to believers. These are little children. These are his, his spiritual children. These are believers. This is not, not unsaved people. He says, keep yourselves from idols. Guess what, Christian? Idolatry is a Christian issue. It is not, you know, like when we, when we say the word idolatry immediately in our Baptist churches, our minds go to, you know, some, some far off, uh, you know, mission spot uh, where they, they exercise, they practice idolatry. No, it's to us that it's written. Look at 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry because it's a Christian problem. Christians are struggling with this issue of idolatry, putting other gods before God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, he says, And what agreement have the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We are the people of God. And as the people of God, what agreement does this new life that we have in Christ have with idols and idolatry. It's a problem. So, uh, you know, he's right to them. Then in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Mortify, put off, kill, get rid of, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Here they are, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, he's writing to Christians. If Christians have to put off idolatry, if Christians have to keep themselves from idols, if Christians have to flee from idolatry, then don't we, don't we realize then that one of the battles we're fighting is idolatry, right? It's, it's not bowing the knee to God. So um, what does it mean? Let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What does it mean to bow the knee to God? What, what does that even mean, to, to bow before God? Okay, to humble ourselves before him because 
not only is he worthy, but in this context of idolatry, what is required to deal with this? What is he, what is he dealing with? Submission. Right? It's submission to his authority. It is to recognize that God has the right to dictate to us. And we are to bow the knee. So, so you know, as we consider this, uh, this morning we were talking about Bible, biblical counseling, right? Uh, we're biblical counselors as Christians. Uh, Miss Amy's the only one in here that's a certified biblical counselor that I know of. But uh, we're biblical counselors. And what that means is, when someone comes in and wants to seek counsel from us, one of the first things we say to them is, do you accept this book as authority? Because if they are not going to... What I'm going to do as a biblical counselor is I'm going to take them to this book. And if they don't believe that this book has any authority, then there's really no reason for us to continue this conversation. You may as well go someplace else and get your counseling because all of the counseling we're going to give is going to be about this book. And if we, we've got to accept this book as authority so that when this book says, husbands, love your wives, it's not... You know, this isn't multiple choice. It's not if you feel like it. It's, there's nothing in there. It's a submission to the book, right? The book has the authority to demand this of us. And so, you know, so when someone comes to my office and they're having marriage problems, you know, we, we throw the Bible at them, so to speak. You know, we're not literally, you know, but we're literally taking them to the Word of God. And if, if they accept the Word of God as authority, then once I show them in the Word of God, they're like, oh, and that submission happens, and they begin to live out God's plan. But if they're like, Pastor, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Really? You're going you're gonna to literally look at me and say, the word of God does not work. And I'm going to say to you, the problem is that you have a weak concept of the word of God. We need to accept the Bible as authoritative. Is it, is it authority? I mean, is it true that God has the right to say what the rules of, of morality are? Does God have the right to establish a moral code? And if he does, our job is to submit, our job is to bow the knee to this God of ours. So in the, in the Christian sense, in the, Philippians chapter 2 says something like this, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is Lord. Please note that. God is not waiting on us to make him Lord. He already is. Do you understand? That's one of the problems with the Lordship salvation concept. You know, it's like we have to, we have to you know, make Jesus our Lord. Jesus is our Lord, period. He is the Lord. He's in charge. Now, the practical side of all of that is that, you know, we are to cooperate with his lordship, and that means that we are to put off the idolatry, the things that we're holding on to. And uh, I, Miss Amy, I should have remembered that song this morning. This song popped into my mind this morning. I cannot remember. What is that song? For if he's, you're not, he's not Lord of everything, Jesus be the Lord. How does it start? Do you remember First verse, my mind has gone blank. It went blank this morning. I, could, I knew you would know it, too. <laughs> I know I can, too. But it, in my heart are kingdoms of, the second verse, a world that's all my own, kingdoms that are only seen by myself and God alone. In the past when I tried to rule my world, it just seemed to fall apart. So please, Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. Now, the problem with that is that Jesus is Lord, right? That is the problem. He already is Lord. He's not waiting on my permission to be Lord. But he is waiting on my cooperation in his lordship. He's waiting for me to bow the knee. He's like, I know I'm in charge. And I would like for you to act like it, right? To bow the knee. And so uh, in that song, it kind of brings up this concept that there are things that we're holding on to. And I would just ask us, what are we holding on to? When's the last time you bristled 
at something that the evangelist preached. Not because he was preaching in error, but because your spirit just didn't like what he was preaching. You understand? You go to camp or you have an evangelist come in or maybe even your pastor. And, and he says, thus saith the Lord. Well, listen, if it's your pastor and it's thus saith your pastor, you are free to ignore it. You, there's, my, my authority evaporates outside of the word of God. Do you understand? The authority of a pastor is the word of God. That's his authority. So as long as I'm preaching the word, then uh, you know, the word is what has authority. Uh, so, but you know, sometimes we bristle at that. We don't want to let go of it. Uh, you know, we would, as teenagers, we'd always preach to the teenagers about their music, get rid of that awful music, you know, and get right with God. And we'd preach hard about that. And, and uh, you know, because we, what we're really wanting them to do is to not have this idol that says, God, you can't have this part of my life. Now, part of the problem with some of that is, remember there's a fine line between what the preacher preaches and what the Bible declares, right? So uh, when, I was, when I first got saved back in the 70s, there were like several themes that you knew almost every time you had a, a youth service, they were going to come up. One was music. One was your, your um, dress, either your haircut or the way you were dressed. And one was going to be what you're watching. Back then it was movies, right? It was going to be what you're watching on TV or movies. That was the, they were, if you had a teen meeting, they were going to come up every single time. And some of that got a little dangerous because we would preach as authoritative things that the Bible doesn't actually say. So we would tell the kids what long hair was. You know what the Bible says? Shame for man to have long hair. That's what the Bible says. Now, somebody please tell me what the definition of long hair is. I don't know. Ask Absalom. Ask Samson. Ask, pick another prophet, uh, you know, uh, because many times the prophets were called upon to not cut their hair when they took a Nazarite vow. And so you've got to ask that question. Wait a minute. When, when? And so our teenagers would sit there and listen to us, and we would be railing about getting your hair off your ears, getting your hair off your collar, and they're looking and saying, I can see the don't have long hair, Pastor John, but I don't see the rest of that. And what happened is we then went into the 80s and 90s with kids who were dismissing the authority of the preacher because they are not so stupid. They're able to understand that the preacher's gone outside of what his authority is because his authority rests in the book, not in his opinion. You see? And now all of a sudden you've got people who were ignoring and no longer submitting because they're trying to figure out who they're supposed to submit to. And I'm just telling you, some of you lived through that, and if you're not careful, you've carried that attitude with you longer than what you realize. And so you've almost taken this shrug of an attitude toward the authority that comes from the pulpit because you've so often seen that authority abused that now you just like, you know, okay, whatever. That's what pastor thinks. Well, listen, if it's what pastor thinks, you can ignore it. But if it's thus saith the Lord, our job is to bow the knee. Our job is to submit to that authority. And it becomes a bigger challenge, right? We've got to learn how to put these idols away from us, things that we're saying, God, you can't have this part of my life. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm going to just be honest, right? I'm just going to tell you honestly. Here's what the Bible says. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. It's talking about attending church, right? Look, look at it in context. It's talking about attending church. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Wednesday night, right? But I'm just telling you. You know, now, now I have heard that preached to an extreme, that God's word doesn't say. God's word says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, as a matter of some is. But you know, if you're a police officer, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're an ambulance driver, I hope that sometimes you're not at church. Do you understand? Because somebody needs you to be someplace else. And so we kind of carried that to an extreme back in the 70s where because it became more pastoral authority than it did Bible authority. And then we set people up for this pattern of just ignoring what's coming from the pulpit because 
Well, I can ignore the pastor. You can. You can ignore the pastor. He's, he's just a preacher. But you can't ignore the word. You've got to submit to the word. And so there's pockets of idolatry in our own hearts that God's trying to help us to weed out. And we, we need to submit and not let these other things. So I've, I've got a little list here. It's a very short little list of what constitutes an idol. What makes up an idol in the scripture? Uh, that's what I've known that God's before me. Well, one is demanding my own way, right? Um, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's what it means. That's what it means to go astray. It's to say, God, I'm going to go the way I want. Here's the way many, and I, I would almost say most Christians in America live their lives this way. God, here's what I'm going to do today. Bless it. Well, I asked God to bless it. Well, good for you. The question is not, did you ask God to bless it? The question is, are you going God's way? Right? Because God blesses his way, not so much ours. And, and, well, you know, what I'm doing isn't bad, Pastor. That's not the point. It's not. It's demanding our way. It's the idea that I'm going to do what I want to do, and God just needs to get with the program. And and that's not going to work. So demanding my own way is, uh, you know, I... I brought up this morning, so you know, I, I just brought up that song about Jesus being Lord of everything. That's a kind of a 70s song. It's not really uh, one we sing today, but you go back into the 40s to find this one, right, by a very famous singer that you all know. Uh, what's his name? Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, right? That was in the 40s. In the 40s, this mentality had already ingrained itself into the psyche of the American people, that we're going to go our way. And, this is, and, and there's a brag point. In fact, Frank sang that in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. And he sang it up to he died. That was kind of his theme song. Uh, wow. And, you know, I can sing the whole song for you. I know it. You probably can sing it too. But the reality is the theme of that song is awful. It is all about doing what we want. Instead of surrendering ourselves to the one who died for us, who purchased us, we are not our own. We are bought with a price, and that ought to be our approach to our Christianity. And uh, so demanding your own way. I don't know how much you demand your own way. Maybe you're just demanding your own way in your family, right? Uh, I I know in families there are some people who like to manipulate the family. We're going to make sure that we take the vacation I want to take. You know, whether it's one of our kids or whether it's one of the spouses, you know, we, we know how to manipulate the family to get our way. You know, that's, and that's a problem. That's not the way Christians ought to be living out their lives. Not that you wouldn't go, get to take that vacation, perhaps. The vacation is not the issue. It's the attitude toward it that's the idle part. It's like, I have to have my way or I'm going to pout, I'm going to scream, I'm going to let everybody else know how unhappy I am because I'm not getting my way. Know anybody like that? It's a problem. It's a problem. Not at all. She's like, <laughs> no, never heard of anybody. Uh, taking offense at God's way is another way that we show, I, she shows us idols. I mean, again, I was just telling you, you know, the evangelist gets up and preaches, and we bristle at what the evangelist says. When's the last time you bristled at what the evangelist is saying? Wait a minute. If the evangelist is telling us God's word, then that bristling is showing us there's an idol behind that bristle. There's this part that says, wait a minute, how dare you, God, say this? How dare you say I can't do this activity or, or watch this or listen to that or hang out with these people? Who does God think he is? I think who he thinks he is is the savior of your soul. Right? He made us, therefore he has authority over us. He bought us, therefore he has authority over us. And our job is to bow the knee. Bitterness. Bitterness is interesting. Bitterness is literally saying, I'm mad at you for something you did, and so I'm going to punish you by withholding my friendship or withholding my conversation. I'm not going to talk to this person. I'm not going to... I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to make them feel bad. Uh, And this bitterness is literally a control issue, right? It's like I can't trust God to take care of the person that offended me, so I'm going to take care of it for him because God might overlook 
Do you remember? Do you remember? Um, I just gave you the the big hint. Who's the big example of that in the scripture? He thought that God might overlook, and that was the problem. Jonah, who literally, when God then shows grace, Jonah's like, I knew, I knew this is what you would do. Jonah was on purpose. I'm not going to go give the message of God to these people. He's, he's, I, I hate these people, and I want them to be punished. And he runs from God. I'm not going to do it. And he's going to... And then God does exactly what God does. He's a, he's a long-suffering, gracious, merciful God. And he does what God does. And Jonah, I knew this was going to happen. And Jonah's angry and frustrated God. That's an idol. You see, Jonah's idol was he thought he should be allowed to determine who God had mercy upon and who God was gracious to. Um, what if God saved your worst enemy? Think about this. What if, well, we've, we've seen examples. Have you ever read anything by Corrie ten Boom? Where Corrie ten Boom is, you know, she was in uh, the Holocaust and was in the prison camps for helping Jewish people during that time. And then she met later on as she's on her speaking circuit telling people about what God had done uh, throughout the, the, the concentration camps. She met one of her prison guards who had come to know Christ as Savior. Read the story. And Corrie ten Boom bristled. How could God give grace to this monster who was burning people and killing people and torturing people? How could God give grace? Wow, that's a big deal. And she had to surrender the right to determine who deserves punishment and who doesn't to a God who is gracious and merciful. That's not easy to do. Pride reveals our idols, you know, right? Pride, pleasure, sometimes the things we have pleasure in, it's revealing our idol. God, I'm going to keep having pleasure no matter what, uh, you know, and uh, we go in that direction. Can you think of anything else? Bottom line is anything we put before God is an idol, but can you think of anything else that would fit into that list? materialistic stuff, things, right? Things becomes a, an issue for people. That might fit into pride. It might fit into pleasure. But, you know, uh, you know, some people, they have to have the best of this and the best of this. And, you know, it, it's a pride issue, but it's a, it's a materialism. They're, you know, they're stuck into that. And, you know, um, I mean, honestly, as parents and grandparents, have you ever been nervous that God might call your children to a difficult place to live we all want what's best for our kids right we all want our kids to have the comforts and joys that we've enjoyed and what if what if our kids were um the perkinses josh perkins and his wife who have to to drive 15 miles to go to the grocery and it takes them what was it seven hours to go 15 miles to get their groceries because where they're serving is in the sticks of wherever it is, and and they there's mountains and it's you know so it's not like there's just not a straight path. If they could drive a straight line, 15 miles, but it's 15 miles of a rugged train takes about seven hours to go to the grocery store. Wow, none of us want that for our kids, right? No, I'm glad Josh is there. I, I hope he stays there. <laughs> hope people get saved. But don't send my grandson there, Lord. You know, we want our kids to have, you know, the niceties, and that becomes a problem for us. Anything else? Think of anything else? I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know what you might have. Got to hurry because we'll uh, run out of time. So anything we put before God, that's our idol. Let's uh, let's bow the knee to God. All right. Think eternal. This is principle number ten. Think eternal. And I've, I've come up with this quick list of eternal things. Um, one is God's glory. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Who should do that? Who are the we? Those who trusted Christ. That's what we should do. Uh, we, we ought to be asking ourselves, with every activity that we do, with every uh, decision that we make, every time we're turning on a television show, and every time we're uh, sitting down to relax, we ought to be asking 
is this bringing God glory? Because that's what we're here for, right? It's one of the things we're here for. And so if we can start thinking eternally. Um, Miss Joy mentioned this morning, um, you know, she was like, you know, even if somebody lived a, a difficult life every day. Now, you know, in my mind, Chris, Miss Judy was sitting right here, you know, as, as we were talking this morning. And uh, so Miss Judy's, I don't know how old she is, but, you know, she's past retirement age. And, uh, you know, she had her first, she spent the, if you ever read Miss Judy's story, like the first two years of her life were spent, spent apart from her family. This doctor said to them, I can help your daughter, but she needs to stay with us. And our, our requirement is that we, they have, she has no contact but once a week because we don't want to be distracted in what we're trying to do by so even her families, they would come once a week to visit her for two years. Uh, she was like one, one to three. It wasn't like the first two years of her life, but like one to three. For, that's, she saw her family just then. I'm not saying that they would do that today, but this is what it was. And so then, you know, that allows her to live the rest of her life out in a wheelchair for the most part. Wow, that's a difficult life. And, you know, Miss Joy was like, what we have to remember is that when we compare that to eternity... What, what's 80 years of this life compared to eternity? And uh, so I was trying to give an illustration, and I don't know what this is. I should have another percentage I should have worked on. But um, so $100 million, right? If we had $100 million, collectively, if, we all had, if somebody gave this group $100 million, all of us could quit our jobs and live the rest of our lives to the comfort that we're, we're accustomed to, Right? Beyond that, that would, mean, that would mean each of us would have a million dollars plus to finish out the rest of our lives. You know, it's like most of us are still waiting to make our first million. So, you know, it's like here it is. And so $100 million, that seems like a lot of money. And so the government will make an announcement. We slashed this particular part of our budget by $100 million. And I was like, woo, that's incredible. But when you consider that the initial outlay was a trillion dollars, what, what, percentage is a hundred million dollars of a trillion how much one percent one percent i think it's one not ten one a billion would be a ten percent of a trillion i'm not sure that's true so when you all of a sudden it's like wait a minute what seemed like an enormous amount just seconds ago is like it's hardly a drop in the bucket it's hardly a drop in the bucket. And that's this life compared to eternity. This life can seem so daunting sometimes. It's, there it is before us, and it's a difficulty to endure this life. And yet, compared to eternity, once we think eternally, it's literally not even a drop in the bucket. It's, it doesn't even register on, on the spectrum of time compared to Eternity, the millions upon millions upon billions of years, if you can put it in time. It's, eternity is kind of the absence of time, so it's, that's a, you know, more of a philosophical question for us. Then souls. Think about souls. These are eternal things, right? Let's, let's think about souls. Proverbs chapter 11 says, The fruit of the righteous is tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. If I could get myself, let, let me take these three things. If we could get our teenagers to live every day with these three things in mind, what would, what would it do to our youth group? To live for the glory of God, to live with souls in mind, and to, to desire to become Christ-like. So, living, so I don't remember who this is. I, I don't, don't even know exactly how to look it up, but years ago I read an illustration. It was something like this, and my mind goes to Spurgeon, but I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think it was George Mueller, but anyway, the question was this. A young, a young preacher came to them and said, they, they were visiting, I believe it was in London, and they were in a hotel room, and so they were in the high rise of the hotel room, like third floor or something, you know. And, uh, and they, were, they said, what is the secret to your success? And he's, he took the guy over to the window, and he says, well, look out here and tell me what you see. And the guy said, well, I see the, you know, the London Bridge, and I see the, you know, the clock tower, whatever, I'm just making things up, I don't know. And 
the old preacher said, I see souls on their way to hell. And that's a difference, right? There's a big difference in that mentality. Thinking eternally is allow souls to become... I mean, how many times are you going to talk to your neighbor and never be burdened for their soul? How many times can we actually say, hey, neighbor, how you doing? Good to see you. I saw you were having a barbecue. Great weather we've been having, blah, blah, blah. And then you know, next week when we hear that they've died and we have no clue as to whether or not anybody's ever shared the gospel with them. All we know is this. We didn't. That's all we know. It's living outside of thinking eternally. Christ-likeness, right? For whom he did foreknow, then he also did predestined be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what we're, this is what we're heading toward. So when I begin to think eternally, it's like these are like the things that are eternal. I want to I do, act, sing, preach, be a husband that brings glory to God. I want to think about the souls of men. Uh, to think about the soul. Remember in, in Isaiah chapter 6, he says that famous passage, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Remember that? I'm paraphrasing. And then God says, or then Isaiah says to God, how long should I go? How long should I do this? You remember that? And I'm again paraphrasing. He says, until everyone is either saved or dead. That's what he kind of sums it up with, right? You don't stop until everyone's either saved or dead. Think about this for a moment. That's living with eternity in mind. Being burdened by the souls of men. Christ-likeness becoming that our goal so that now we have that, we are pressing toward a mark of the prize of the high calling of God. And that mark is to become more like Jesus. To become more like Jesus. Putting away our idols, thinking eternally, and letting eternity have its goal. So the Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? What treasures are we laying up? What treasures are we laying up? What is our treasure that we lay up in heaven? What do you think? Souls of other people. That's quite honestly, that's about all we can lay up, right? I mean, even if we lay up the treasures like the crowns that he's going to give us, the ultimate that we do with those crowns is lay them at the, only one, at the feet of the only one who is worthy. We lay them at the feet of Jesus because he's the only one worthy of those crowns. So that's not it. We're not trying to lay up those treasures. Really, the only thing we can lay up, that we can kind of send ahead, are souls. Right? It's, it's, so it's our kids and our grandkids. It's our, you know, our neighbors and our co-workers it's the souls of men. That's thinking eternally. That's putting that concept first. And uh, so learning how to think eternally. We've got to get past this, and so we've got to hurry up so we can have some prayer time. To ponder your path. Uh, these are like little, silly little cliches, right? Your direction determines your destination. Would you agree? If you want to go to Carmel from here, and you go south, it's going to be a long, long road to get there. Right? Your, your direction determines your destination. And all too often, our approach to life is to meander and just hope for the best. We're kind of living our life by the seat of our pants and not actually, there's no mark we're pressing toward. We're not going anywhere in particular. But our direction determines our destination uh, as a nation think about this um, it's no shock that we are we are where we are right now if you go back 30 years and look where we were going right we're exactly where we pointed ourselves we, we we've gotten exactly where we ex should have expected to have gotten to as a nation because that's the direction we were going our direction. So the Bible says, ponder thy path. Take some time to think about this. Ponder the path by feet and let all thy ways be established. Let's be careful. What, which direction are we going? Um, in, um, on a protractor, you know, 
uh, on that little bitty protractor that you set on your paper to try to determine the angle, uh, you know, you have that right angle, that 90 degrees, that right angle. And then you have that uh, 89, what was that? Is that an obtuse? No, it's an acute angle, right? An 89 degree angle. It's just one, on your protractor, it's literally like almost immeasurable. It's just, it's like less than a centimeter. It's just that little bitty line, right? But if you kept those lines going and you went out 100 miles, by the time you get to a destination, you're so far apart, it's not like you can even, you, you couldn't walk to each other. You could, it would take you days to drive to each other. I mean, it's because they just keep getting further and further apart. And it's just that one little degree that if, if I would just make a little course correction now, my destination would be so different than if I just say, you know what, it's not that big a deal. What's one little degree off? It's not that big a deal. And yet that one degree takes us way out of the way. And it doesn't work that way. Uh, our direction determines our destination. Have we stopped and thought about where we're going as a family, as a church, as, you know, as an individual? Where are we going? What direction are we heading? You know, as, as a church, you're constantly called upon to kind of reevaluate. You know, wow, let's, let's stop and think about this. Let's, and, and so I, I haven't preached this in forever. I maybe should preach it again sometime. But um, I used, used to I'd preach it like once a year. Uh, there's, I, would, I would call it ministry determiners. Anybody remember my ministry determiners message? A couple of you are nodding. That's about it. So there's, I, I would always preach. There are certain things that will just determine where a ministry goes right, where a ministry ends up, and one of those is music, right, the kind of music that a church embraces will determine the kind of ministry that church becomes 20 years from now, it's a, it's a ministry, it's a direction, it's a ministry to determine, um, the style of preaching, you know, that, you know, again, you can say yes or no, I'm not arguing about that one style's bad, one style's good, I'm just simply saying that if you, if you're a, pew jumping, you know, spitting preacher, then you're going, that's going to determine what kind of ministry you become in 20 years. If you're more of my style, more of a teaching type of preacher, then that's going to determine what kind of, and I, I think there's room for both of those. I'm not against either one. I'm just saying they determine where a ministry goes. You know, I even, I believe that the, the, um, that the uh, version of the Bible that you preach from is a ministry determinant. You know, it's gonna it's gonna decide where you're heading, things like that. So, yes, stop and ponder. Well, we need to do that with our families. Where are we going? If we keep going the direction we're going, are we gonna end up where we want to be as a family? If we keep going the direction we're going, are we gonna end up where we want to be as a church? If we keep going the direction we're going as an individual, am I gonna end up where I want to be? Because sometimes we're embracing things that would end us up right where we're only, you know, we're just a few years behind where society has already gotten to. We shouldn't be surprised when churches start mirroring the society that we're living in. If the churches are going those directions, just being a few steps behind doesn't change it. I love this one. I love just the way it says it. You always end up where you're going. You always end up where you're going, right? Going that way, that's where you're going to end up. You're going to end up where you're going. It's not rocket science here. You always end up where you're going. Uh, here's what the Bible says. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. So I love this about the Bible. It literally says it helps me see every step. It's a lamp to my feet. Oh, look, I need to be careful not to step on that thorn. Oh, look, I need to be careful. I remember um, on um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anybody ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? We can have that. Okay, maybe you're already disappointed in me because I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. But anyway, I'm just telling you, I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's that one place where he's got to walk through. If you step on the wrong thing, and those arrows come shooting out. You know, and so he's, he's, he's being very careful. Thy word is a lamp. It shows me where to put each step. You know, that's what God's word does. It's like, okay, I'm, my life is, this is kind of a mess. I don't want to put my foot in the wrong place. I remember one time my family and I were... Uh, my family, meaning my mom and dad, we lived, in, there was a big woods behind our house, and so we were going to go back, and I think we were mushroom hunting, 
And um, I made the mistake of stepping on the nest of some ground hornets. That was not good. I was not paying attention to where my feet were going. And uh, I paid for it, as you might guess. So it was, that was not fun. Uh, God's words, it's there. But it's also this. It's also light into my path. Not only is it showing me where I need to put my foot immediately, but it's showing me out there in front, you know, what I can, where I'm heading and, and what, what I can expect out there. So it's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. That's what the Word of God is. It's great, a great tool available to us if we'll use it. Um, Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, is why I cited this one. as says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So, circumspect. Take the word circum there, that, that uh, you know, that, um, what's the beginning of the word called? Prefix, thank you, I forgot my English here. That prefix, what does circum mean? Around, right? We circumnavigate the world, right? Uh, so, it means around. So, the idea is, to, first of all, walk with an awareness of what's happening around you. Right? We, we need to walk circumspectly. There's, there's people that my decisions are going to impact. Uh, there are dangers that I need to you know, you know, guide my family through so that they don't get destroyed. I need to walk circumspectly. And then the illustration I love about this one is, is, uh, is the tightrope walker, right? And that is that he has to take one step and put it right where it needs to be. Because if you're off that tightrope a little bit, you're in trouble. But if you, if, if you walk circumspectly, and I like the tightrope because the Bible says we have a straight and narrow path, and that's about as straight and narrow as you can get as a tightrope. Uh, we have this uh, strap that um, you can winch. It's, it's, uh, it's literally a game you can buy, but it has a built-in winch, and you winch it between two trees, and it's about a two-inch strap, and it's made to become a tightrope. That's what it is, but it's a strap instead of a rope. And uh, Chad Carter, I hate him, he can actually, I'm just kidding, I don't hate Chad, but he can walk across it. He's pretty good at it. Uh, he's the one that kind of got me going a little bit. Uh, I still have to have a pole, preferably a pole in both hands, because you don't, you know, we only put it off the ground like this to get from one tree to the next. But I'm telling you, if, if your center of gravity is off just a little bit, you know what begins to happen with that strap? It starts to wobble. And all of a sudden, your whole body, down you go. Uh, you've got to have your center of gravity just perfect on that strap. And if you do that, you can make it all the way across. Chad can do it with no hands, just walk all the way across. Say what? Yeah, it does help if you're not afraid, right? It does, because that kind of helps your, gravity, your center of gravity to work as well. And so you've got to get past that nervousness. If you go online and watch people do this, they'll do it over a canyon. They're nuts. I mean, these, I mean, these people are nuts, but they'll do it over a canyon. Uh, I, I wouldn't do that because I can't make it across from one tree to the next you know, with the ground just right below me. But, uh, you know, I, I can make it from here to Brother Tim, but then the last five or six feet is where I start to lose it. So I don't know what it is. It's just, it is what it is. But uh, that's walking circumspect. So ponder your path. Three things that we looked at tonight, right? Let's, let's make sure that we're bowing the knee to God and doing away with our idols. Let's make sure that we're living with eternity in mind and let's make sure that we're considering the direction that we're going from a biblical perspective. And if we do that, we'll be people who are ready to be used when God calls upon us. Uh, you've got about seven minutes. If you can take some time to pray, I would again ask you to pray for tomorrow with this. Um, anybody have any prayer requests you'd like to share with the group before we divide up? Say it again. Yes, uh, Diane Connolly is. Uh, she's at Suburban, and she's been sent home on hospice care. You probably don't know, but some of you might. Uh, so pray for her. Yes. Okay, that's uh, Chad and Ryan's dad, Dan. Uh, wrecked, wrecked a. Okay, so it's it's more like a, like a moped type of bike. Okay, well, so uh, yeah, it's a pedal and that's a moped. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think, but anyway, um, yeah. So just pray for him. He fell and hit his head. Dan Carter. Anybody else? Tomorrow, um, Miss um, 
Simone's yeah, Hazel, Miss Hazel is having a, she says a torn retina, so they're going to try to repair that tomorrow, so pray for her. Break up into groups, and then don't forget your kids when you're dismissed, all right? God bless you.